morning, everybody. Can you hear me okay? Yeah? Good. All right. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Siobhan Stewart. Um, I originally come from Canada, and I've been here since 2008. My wife and I, who you met a few weeks ago, uh, if you haven't heard her message, I encourage you, please go back uh, through the Facebook posts and, and uh, listen to her message. It was extremely powerful, and a lot of people's lives were touched by it. Um, but we came down from Catalia about a year ago, and, uh, and I've been here visiting, or not visiting. We consider Trinity Vineyard our home church as well. Um, a little bit about who I am. I grew up in a small town north of Toronto, Canada, and uh, went to Sunday school as a kid, decided at around uh, grade eight that I didn't want to attend church anymore, um, and that God and I were okay for me to just be who I wanted to be, and uh, I lived like that until probably my senior year of high school, in which God got a hold of me and said, no, 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 there's more to this than what you understand. Um, I uh, attended a couple of churches through my teen, late teen and early 20s, and uh, I decided that I would attend Bible college. Uh, at the time that I became a Christian, I really enjoyed learning about the Bible, its history, geography, all of those kinds of things. Um, uh, so that's why I attended Bible college, and uh, while I was a, a youth leader at our church, we attended a, a conference in which I heard a message that really uh, exploded my passion for the Bible. And uh, um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna see how my my development has come along, but we need to understand a little bit about what the Bible is. So. Bear with me as we go through a few different passages really quickly, and then we'll settle into one passage, okay? So the Bible is, you know, we, we have it nowadays as this one volume collection. Well, we have this one volume of, of writings, but it's really, for us as Protestants, it's 66 books that uh, they're, they're, they were scrolls originally. Uh, and so we've com compacted them and, and condensed them into in my house. Um, uh, one area of the Bible that we maybe don't necessarily pay attention to is that it is considered meditation literature. Uh, in Hebrew, the word for meditation is haga. Can everybody say haga? Haga means that you, while you're reading the scriptures, you're you're muttering what you're reading. It's uh, it gives the the understanding that uh, kind of like an animal chewing on its food, maybe like a lion or a or a bear, be would just be uh, eating its food. Um, 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 um. That's the idea of meditating on the scripture. Um, sorry, I've got this cable here. 
one thing that I've come to understand too with the Bible is that um, with its complexity um, is that uh, sorry it's been a while since I've done this uh, we have we have the history that says that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible but there's a complex part of the book of Deuteronomy where that doesn't quite sit right and that's the last chapter of Deuteronomy Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah which is opposite Jericho and the Lord showed him the land Gilead as far as Dan and all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea and the Negev and the plain of, in the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. He buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no man knows his burial place to this day. Although Moses was 120 years old when, his, when he died, his eye was not dim nor his vigor abated. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid on him his hands. And the sons of Israel listened to him as, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, for all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land, and for, the, and for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. The problem of Moses being the writer of the first five books of the Bible is what do we do with this last chapter? Because since that time there has not been a prophet like Moses how can Moses be writing also about his death Moses died Moses was buried to this day nobody knows where he's buried uh, there's a, a, a group of scribes and and, um, and and people that that came together and they they collected all of the things that Moses would have written down all the things that Moses would have said and uh, and compiled it and into what we have today in our in our Bibles uh, so just something for us to, to think about and to chew over as we go through our, our walk with God um, so meditation literature let's get back into that some examples of meditation of things that we can meditate on are words and phrases that repeat over and over throughout the Bible and we typically are not trained to to recognize these passages so I'm going to quickly go through a, a couple uh, in Genesis 1 we have six times where God says that he's that that it says that God saw that something was good something that he created was good he saw it and it was good and here we have one time when God saw that it was very good now, if we go ahead a little bit through the story into Genesis chapter 3, we have Eve, 
And when she is tempted by the serpent, she sees the fruit of the tree, right? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. The woman saw something that was good. God had seen all of creation as being good. And he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he says, you can eat from any tree, but you can't eat from this tree. It's a test. You can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve sees that the tree is good, just as God saw that everything that he had created was good. Now she has a choice. Do I take for myself and determine what is good in my eyes, or do I trust what God has said? So she sees it, and she takes it, and she eats it. In Genesis chapter 6, we come to another story. And starting in verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those who were mighty men who were, uh, who were of old, men of renown. But if we back up a few... Um, a few verses to back up to chapter one. Now it came about when the men began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born of them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Here we have a repeated, a repeated phrase. The, the sons of God saw that the women were beautiful, that the women were, were good, and that they took them as their wives. If we jump ahead to the book of Joshua, which is after the Pentateuch, there was a, a after the, this is after the Battle of Jericho, God had commanded the people, don't take any plunder from this town. Just utterly destroy it. Chapter 7, verse 1. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban, and therefore the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. So Joshua confronts uh, the people and says, like, what's going on? And uh, Joshua said, it can... Uh, I am my son I implore you give glory to the Lord and the God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done do not hide it from me so Achan answered Joshua and said truly I have sinned against the Lord the God of Israel for this is what I did when I saw among the spoil of a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold 50 shekels in weight 
Then I coveted them, and I took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. Here's another situation of Achan seeing something that is good, and he takes it for himself. And then uh, probably one of the more famous stories that we have heard if we spend any time in church from the second Samuel chapter 11 and it happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah but David stayed at Jerusalem now when evening came David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her, and she, when she had purified herself from her uncleanliness, she returned to her house. David saw Bathsheba, and he took her as her own. He saw her as someone that was beautiful, someone who was good, and he took her as her own. When we start to see these things of people seeing things and taking them for themselves, we're supposed to kind of um, have that in our mind. Something is going on here that's a little bit deeper than just seeing something, and that there's a repeated pattern that goes out through the Bible, that if we see something that is good, are we going to take it for ourselves, or are we going to honor God with who we are and who he is, um, um, and so we just need to be continually having that in, in our mind. Another example is the phrase, um, what have you done? And if we go back to Genesis 3, when God confronts Adam and Eve, he says to Adam, where are you? And, and he's, Adam says that we were hiding because we were naked. Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the fruit? Well, the woman that you gave to me, she's the one that tempted. So God says, okay, Eve, what have you done? And Eve says, the serpent deceived me. When God confronts Adam and Eve, we get a list of lame excuses as to what to try and, and pass the blame, to try and, and take, take away uh, the seriousness of the offense. Um, and when we read the next story in chapter four with Cain and Abel, Cain kills his brother, even though God said, hey, don't do it. Sin is crouching at your door, but you can have mastery over sin. Cain kills his brother anyway, and God says, where is your brother? I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? God says to Cain, what have you done? And again, another list of lame excuses comes forth Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, uh, before he's Abraham, Abram and Sarai are traveling and they go down to, to Egypt. And uh, Abram says to Sarai, just tell them when they see you that you're my sister because they're gonna kill me and they're gonna take you. So just say you're my sister. So Pharaoh takes, again, he sees Sarai and he takes her into his, into his courts and then it comes out that no she is the wife of Abram and so Pharaoh comes to Abram and says what have you done 
you have put us in an awkward situation. You, are, you have given us over to destruction because you said that she was your sister, but really she's your wife. And then Abraham comes out with a lame excuse. Well, yes, she is my sister technically, and I, you know, she is really beautiful, and I knew that she'd probably kill me if you knew that she was my wife. So, you know, just, just go with it. It's, it. It'll be all right. Just, everything's fine. And then he does it again to Abimelech. And Abimelech comes to him and says, what have you done to us? You told us that she was your sister and really she's your wife. We almost died because of this. And Abraham again gives the lame excuse of, well, yeah, she's my sister, but yeah, she is my wife. And so, you know, it's, it'll be okay. Again, in Genesis chapter 29, Jacob, uh, he's sent, out, sent away by his dad to go and find a wife with his uh, his mother's brother's family and uh, he meets Rachel and he falls in love with her and uh, Laban his uncle says hey it's not right that you just work for me for free so name your price and and uh, and and we'll settle things and Jacob says I would love to marry your daughter Rachel she's really beautiful to me and Laban says yeah that's fine I'd rather her marry you than anybody else so work for me for seven years and you can have Rachel as your wife he works the seven years, he gets married, and uh, he wakes up on his wedding day to find out that the woman that he married was not Rachel, but her sister Leah. And he, Jacob goes to Laban and says, what have you done? I worked for you for seven years, you were supposed to give me Rachel, and now you give me Leah. And Laban goes, well, you know, it's really not our custom that you marry the younger daughter first. So because the older daughter hasn't gotten married yet, I thought, let me just give her to you and everything will be all right, okay? But if you really want to marry Rachel, when the time is done, then you can marry Rachel and then work for me for another seven years. So uh, Laban agree, or Jacob agrees to work for Laban for another seven years. But we can see this pattern repeating throughout the book of people getting offended and then being questioned, what have you done? Uh, if we could go to uh, the slide uh, that says Talit, please. One more. There we go. Talit. The, the image in this picture uh, is a Jewish prayer shawl called a tallit. It's a fringed garment uh, with twined knotted fringes called tzitzit uh, attached to its four corners. The, the corners of the garment are called kanaf. In Numbers chapter 15 verses 37 to 39, Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the knafa of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassels, the zitzit, of each corner, hakanaf, the cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of Yahweh, so as to do them and to not follow after your own heart and your own eyes. Um, the word, the word kanaf, 
it means uh, the edge or the corner. So God commands the people to sew these tassels on the corners or the edges of their, of their garments to be a reminder of God's um, commands and, and promises. A few uh, examples of this come from Isaiah chapter 11, Job 38, Isaiah 24, 1 Samuel 24. Um, in Isaiah 11, it says, And he will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So from the edges of the earth or the four corners of the earth, we get that word kanaf. In Job 38, Yahweh says to Job, Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the end's edge of the earth, and the wicked shall be shaken out of it? So again, the, ed the, ends, the end edges of the earth is uh, this word kanaf. Isaiah 24 says, from the, ends, from the end corners of the earth we hear songs, glory to the righteous one. And in 1 Samuel 24 is another famous story that we've heard if we spent any time in church of David being pursued by Saul and he's hiding out in a, in a cave and Saul decide, realizes that it's time to take care of some private business so he sneaks into the cave and David and his troops are there and they say, David, this is your time, you can kill Saul. And David gets into position ready to do it and he realizes I can't kill the king of Israel right now. It's not, it's not my place, who am I to do that? But to prove a point, he cuts the edge of Saul's garment and the edge that he takes in the, in the Hebrew, the, he cuts off the kanaf of, of Saul's garment. Okay, so we have all of these, this word kanaf, what's the big deal? In Luke chapter 8, verses 43 to 46, it says, we, we read the story, And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the edge, the kanaf, of his cloak. Now, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek and Aramaic. So you have to kind of um, get a bit of Hebrew history to understand what's going on but when we read the edge, understand that this is a Jewish nation that this is taking place in. So they're going to be speaking Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. But bear with me. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding around and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that the power had gone out of me. So what? There's another word, another meaning for the word kanaf, um, and that is uh, wing. In Genesis chapter one, when when God is creating the birds of the air, the winged creatures, they are the 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 creatures with kanaf. In Exodus 19, God says to the Israelites, you yourselves have seen what I did to the e Egyptians and how I bore you on the eagle's kanaf and brought you to myself. In Psalm 57, we're gonna revisit this story of David being pursued by Saul. Um, 
Psalm 57 is written for the choir masters to the tune of Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David, when he fled from Saul into the cave. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your kanaf, in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. There's another verse that this woman, suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years, would have been reminded of. And as she hears about this person who is supposed to be the Messiah, the, the anointed one of God, she is remembering back to her times in synagogue, being taught by the rabbis, hearing the scriptures over and over again, meditating on them day and night as good Israelites were commanded to do. In uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, it is written, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and ev every evildoer will be chaff, on the and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says Yahweh of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root or branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healings in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. This woman is hearing that there's a man who is the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And she remembers, as she's been muttering over the years and years and years, the son of righteousness will come with healing in his kanaf. If I can just reach out and touch the kanaf of his garment, I can be healed. How many of us today need to sit and just mutter and meditate on the scriptures and the promises of God day in and day out and trust in who God is and what he says that we can reach out and touch his garment for whatever it is that we need whether it's healing or whether it's um, um, I, I don't know I'm drawing blanks at the moment but let me encourage you spend time individually in your community groups with your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, spend time reading the scriptures and muttering them over and over and talking about them to each other because it's in those times that we're going to get the most meaning. And, and as we meditate on scripture, we not only get the, the interpretation of what scripture is, but scripture then begins to interpret us and we begin to see how we can be impacted by the scripture. So that is my encouragement today. Um, if the worship team would like to come forward and, and any of the prayer team that's here, um, I just want to encourage us today with this word. And my prayer is that anything that is not of God would just fall by the wayside and that everything that is of God would sink deep into your soul. And uh, thank you for your time.